Good evening, church. I'm your speaker for the night, and I just want to say thank you to my pastor, Pastor Harpo. I give him honor for allowing me to be in this pulpit. I don't take it lightly. It's with um, honor that I do this and humility, because to stand in this place is a, is a big deal. <laughs> so I don't take it lightly, and I hope that I can do this lesson justice for you all. Um, we're going to be speaking about Abraham. So you have a handout. I'm just going to confess right now that I may not follow the handout exactly like you have it on your paper. So I apologize for that in advance. And you just, I'll just try to tell you our bullet points so you'll kind of know where I am if I mess up. So we're talking about Abraham. Um, Abraham, on the surface, it looks like this, the guy that just went to Canaan. The Lord gave him a promise. He left, went to Canaan, and, and became the father of many nations. But there's a lot of stuff about Abraham when you start to dig um, that maybe you didn't know. I prayed that the Lord would show me things. I said, Lord, if you want me to teach this lesson, then you must be wanting to show me something in this lesson. So I had prayed specifically that God would show me things as I was learning. So I'm learning tonight with you, and I, I was, and the Lord has taught me and showed me some things as I was studying. So um, as we go along, I'm just going to kind of give you the overview of his life. We're just going to kind of go th- from from A to Z, or at least till till Isaac marries Rebecca. And then someone else is going to pick that up next week. So as we go along, we'll kind of stop and look at some situations in his life. And so if you already know all this, I'm sorry if you're bored, but it, maybe you'll learn a few things as we go. So here we go. So the lessons about Abraham. So when I first started studying about him, I thought, who is Abraham? So why, why is he somebody that God would have chosen? Who is he? So Abraham is the son of Terah. And he is, uh, his father, Terah, is, is a, a idol worshiper. He comes from the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and they were idol worshippers there. So that's the situation that he's in. Now, it doesn't tell us that in Genesis, as you'll see. It is not until Joshua that we learn about Abraham's father's past. So the Lord says, um, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in the old time even Terah, the father of Abraham, and they served other gods. I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and I led him through all the land of Canaan. Well, we know that Terah did not live in the flood. So what the Lord is saying here is that type of, that type of lifestyle, all that wickedness, all that idolatry and, and wickedness that went on before the flood, that's the kind of land that, that Abraham lived in. That's the kind of land his father came from, and he was also an idol worshiper, not Abraham, his father. So I did some research, and it said that his dad probably was an idol maker, and he was probably an idol seller, seller of idols. So I'm thinking, what is it about Abraham that would have caused him to get up and leave? And now the Word of God teaches in Genesis that Terah took his family out of Ur. But if you go to the book of Acts, you will see that in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was uh, talking about everything and explaining Jesus to them, that he goes back to Abraham and says that, um, the Abra- that, that the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. And he told Abraham then to get out of thy um, country and from thy kindred and into the land which I will show thee. We learn that in the book of Acts. We don't learn that in Genesis. So the Lord spoke to Abraham there and told him to get out of, get out of that country. So I believe that it was probably on Abraham's 
uh, requests or bidding that his father took them out of the land of Ur and started on their way to the new promised land. So um, I was thinking about this testimony that I had heard. And uh, if you've never heard it, you should go on and, and look at it. It's like 20 minutes long. But it's, it's a lady in our faith. Her name is Sister Vani Marshall. She came out of, out of idolatry. She was a, um, a, a Hindu, and her family was like a priest and priestess. And she talked about how they had 2,000 gods. She had to learn the name of 2,000 gods. And she became very, very ill, and no one could help her. There was no one in the land that could, could doctor her or figure out what was wrong or bring healing to her body. She said she prayed to the 2,000 gods that she knew by name, could not get well. But she had heard about Jesus. And so when she heard about Jesus, she thought to herself, well, why not? I'll just try this Jesus. And that's exactly how she says it. And see if, if maybe he can heal me. So she said she called on Jesus and said, if you're real, will you heal me? And the Lord spoke to her and he healed her. And so she became, of course, an apostolic because of that experience. And so I think Abraham is in a land of idolatry. We don't know. I don't know. I didn't research to see how many uh, gods they worshiped, but I know their number one God was like a moon God. But none of those gods, I guarantee you, ever spoke to him. But if the Lord spoke to you, if you're in Abraham's place and the Lord speaks to you, you're probably going to listen. Wow, here's the God that speaks to me. Wow, none of my other gods have ever done that before. And so the Lord tells him, get thee up and from thy country and from thy kindred and into the land which I will show you. Now that's all God says to him at that point while he's still in Ur. So it's like, okay, I would say, where are we going? Why are we doing this, Lord? Where are you going to take me? But Abraham doesn't seem to do that. He just kind of, okay. And so he, and so they get up and with his father and his nephew Lot and his wife Sarah, and they go in, they begin a route into the land of Canaan. So whenever they um, start on their, on their route, Abraham ends up in a place called Haran. So let me back up for just a minute. So as I'm beginning to study, my number one question again was, what is it about Abraham that the Lord would have called him out of a place of idolatry? Why would he have chosen Abraham? What's so special about him? And I'm thinking and I'm praying, Lord, I want to be like him. What is it that he possesses? What do I need to see in this? What do I need to know? And this is what the Lord showed me for my own study. Why did you choose Abraham? I know him, said the Lord. He will commit his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. God was not worried about Abraham. He had something in his character, something in his heart, some, something about Abraham that the Lord says, I know he'll command his children and his household after him. So the Lord knew that he could build a nation that would believe in one God, a monotheistic nation. He knew he could build a people that would serve him and love him through one guy, because he possessed something that would make him faithful. And so that's been my prayer as I've been studying. Lord, let me see the things that Abraham did. Let me become like him. I don't want it just said of me. I prayed this, Lord, let it be said of me. But then I said, no, I don't want it to be said of me. I want it to be, be me. I want it to be, like, I want people to be able to see it. I don't just want the Abraham to say, I, there's something in Angie that I can do this. I want it to become real. I want it to become manifest, if I can say it that way. So you get whatever you can out of this, and that, that's what I feel like the Lord showed me. So they travel on, and they come to a place called Haran. And in Haran, Abraham's 75 years old. His father, Terah, dies. So now he can... 
the Lord can come to him again, and this time he can speak to him about leaving and going further. So I put here, just so you know where we are, the Lord speaks to Abraham at Haran. The only true and living God reveals himself to Abraham and gives him a promise to be a father of great nations. The Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and unto the land which I will show thee. Now he already said that. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now the Lord has given him a little bit more. First it was just get out of this country and into a land I'll show you. Now the Lord's added to what he's telling Abraham. Get out of the country because I'm going to make you a great nation. Again, Abraham never says, well, Lord, how's that going to happen? I don't have any heirs. Or he never says, why, why, what's going on? Give me more information. He just does what the Lord says to do. Now, I don't know how you're wired, but I'm always like, why? <laughs> why is this? What's going on? My kids are always asking me questions. And sometimes I just have to say, because I said so. Because I don't know why. Uh, I'll tell you in a little bit or whatever. And then if you have children, you know what I'm talking about. So that's kind of how the Lord dealt with Abraham. He gave him a little bit, a little bit. A little bit. First, it's get out of the country. Now get out of the country because I'm going to make you a nation. And then we'll see the next thing as we go along. The Lord does not reveal to Abraham everything. Don't you hate when that happens? I hate when that happens. It's like, I want to know everything right now. And I'm kind of in a place like that uh, concerning a, a word of prophecy that I have. And sometimes I start to waver and think, oh, is that ever going to happen? Is it real? Is it going to happen? And so every time I get to that place, the Lord is so merciful. He sends someone with a word and gives me just a little bit more and just a little bit more. Now, i got to tell you, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it because I want the whole thing. I want it all. I want to know now. But God doesn't always work that way. And it seems like most of the time he doesn't. And that's where our faith and our trust comes from. Do we trust enough? Do we have faith enough? If you just get a little word, that you can act on it. So the Lord, I, I think one of the things when the Lord was saying of Abraham that he knew he would keep his command, he meant not just in his heart, not just he'll keep, keep this, but he'll act on it. Faith is actions. Faith without works is dead. So Abraham had faith enough to believe in this God that spoke to him. So he puts into action what the Lord is asking. So... I, I call this the walk of faith, where the walk of faith begins. So now the Lord has told him he's going to make him a great nation. So now Abraham leaves that place that he was, and he ends up in Shechem. And so there, um, Abraham obeys the Lord. He leaves. He goes to Canaan, which Shechem is, is there in Canaan and on the way. So Abraham has no idea where he's going. He has no idea what's going to happen. Again, all the details are vague. But the Lord's leading him, and Abraham trusts the Lord. And the Lord appears unto Abraham again, and he says, Unto thy seed I will give this land. He's speaking of Canaan. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now Abraham has both the promise of a land, and he has the promise of a nation. So now the Lord says, first it's get out of the land. Okay, whatever you say, God, let's go. Then it's get out of the land, I'm going to make you a nation. Then it's get out of the land, I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to give you a land. So Abraham, again, he's just getting little pieces and little pieces. But the Lord built an altar there because this is a land that the Lord is going to give to the people. So if I can explain this, 
Abraham is being drawn, was drawn out of a land of idol worshipers because the Lord wanted to establish a people and a land that would worship him only. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. He wanted a people that would only worship him that was a monotheistic people. He wanted a people, but then he also had to have a place for those people. So he takes Abraham into the land of Canaan so they will have a place where they can worship the one true God and it will be their, their land. So Abraham builds an altar there. Um, so Abraham, again, because he believes for, for what the Lord is saying, he doesn't know that, I mean, he can't know that for sure. There's nothing that shows that he would really have that land, but he believes God, so he builds an altar there. So again, not just faith, but works. So then I have what I would call the physical walk of faith. <laughs> so Abraham doesn't just walk by faith, but God tells him to physically walk the land that he sees. So Abraham uh, goes out, and, and this is what the Lord says, Look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to thee. So I'm thinking, okay, why does the Lord ask him to walk the land? Now, I don't, can't say that I have a definite answer here. There's nothing in the scripture that tells us exactly why he says to do that. But I did some research, and one of the ways that showed that you purchased property in, that, in those days and in that culture was you walked the land that you were purchasing. So when Abraham physically walked that land, it was saying, I'm getting this land. Whether I'm in it all the time, I'm coming back for that land. It's mine. You might rent out your house, but it's still yours, and you can come back to it anytime you want to. So, so when the Lord told him to physically walk that, not only was it putting things into action again in the physical, but it was claiming that territory. So again, I'm thinking, I'm reminded of a sermon. I'm reminded of a lot of sermons. I'm sorry, but I just was. Um, I read a book, actually, but Sister Freeman also told this. Her, her husband was a uh, missionary to Africa, and he and the pastor that was in Africa, Brother Tekla Miriam, they went out to Africa when they first got there, and they walked all the land. Everywhere they walked, there is a church there today. They claimed that territory. So there's something real about physically putting things into action. So, I mean, even Jericho, they physically walked around it and the walls came down. I know that's ahead of where we are, but, but there's something about when the Lord asks you to do something physical— do it. If he says run around the church, <laughs> I don't really want to, but I tell you I have, and it's made a difference. If I feel like he spoke to me about something and I do it, it's obedience he's looking for. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about our, our uh, vanity, I mean, or, you know, our pride. When he asks you to do it, do it. So he says to Abraham, go walk around, go walk around that land. Uh, so I, so, so I just want to um, pause for just a minute. This is really not in your notes, but it's kind of in between here. So Abraham, again, has a little bit, a little bit of, of knowledge, and he has this great faith, and he does all the things the Lord, are asking, the Lord is asking, and then we see in between his, where his faith begins, and, and the Lord tells him to leave Haran and go into Canaan, and where he physically walks the territory there of Canaan. In between time, he had left Haran, and he went into um, Egypt, so now here is the contrast. So this is what I'm always, up to, up to these points, I'm thinking, man, Abraham, he's superhuman. He's super spiritual. Do you look at people and think, man, they're so spiritual? And it's like, this guy, he's got it all together. Well, here comes the contrast. 
there's the spiritual side of Abraham, and then there is the carnal or the fleshly side of Abraham. So in between those two great moments, he goes to Egypt and says to his wife, Sarah, hey, you're really beautiful, so we're going to tell them that you're my sister, which she was his half-sister. So it was a half-truth, because I'm afraid that if we tell them who you are, they'll kill me. So we're going to tell them you're my sister. Now, how could a man who has so much faith that just on a little word, get out of your country and go into the land I'll show you, gets out of his country? That was his inheritance. That was his family. That was everything. Then the Lord says, I'm going to make you a nation, and he believes it. And then I'm going, to make, I'm going to give you this land, and he believes it. He builds an altar. He does all these things. How could a guy like that that has that kind of faith be afraid when he gets to Egypt and say, they might kill me, so let's say you're my sister? I know, because he's a human being. And that's what I thought. You know what? Hey, now I can relate to Abraham because now I see the human side of him. I see the human aspect. All of us as Christians, I'm sure, go through that. We have our spiritual highs, if I can say it that way. We hear the word of God. We leave church. It's like, wow, yes, wow. I mean, I literally sometimes sit in my seat and think, yes, Lord, yes, right. And then maybe the next day or maybe it's later on that day, something happens and you're like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's like, what, what, what is that? Well, that's hum- humanism. That's, that's our flesh. That's our carnality. And so Abraham was just a regular guy, and he struggled. There is a contrast if you start looking at him. He had his spiritual highs, if I can say it that way, and he had his really lows. And he did wonderful spiritual things, and he did terribly fleshly things, as we're going to see. So Abraham is not perfect. So let's pick up again on the walk of faith. So he walks the... the um, The actual physical territory, the Lord told him to do that. That was the land of Canaan, and that was the land he was going to possess. So the the Lord takes him on that walk. So we see another, like, kind of, not really a blunder, but another just strange thing. It seems like the Lord inserts all these strange things. In the middle of all these great stuff that's going on with Abraham, we find all these things that I say are kind of weird inserted here and think, why are they here? Why are we talking about them here? So Lot... He goes um, to Sodom because Abraham's really blessed after he comes out of Egypt. They actually blessed him with a lot of stuff and a lot of cattle and and animals because uh, Sarah was so beautiful. And and so they thought, the Pharaoh thought he was going to get a keeper, but he had blessed Abraham and and he let let Abraham take all the things with him basically to get rid of him because there had been plagues that come upon him. So Lot. And Abraham's men get into kind of a conflict because there's not enough, they feel like not enough land to support both of them. They're both very prosperous. So Abraham says to Lot, take your, your people and you go wherever and whatever you don't want to go to, whatever land you don't want to go or whatever place, I'll, I'll take the other. So Lot, thinking that he's got one up on Abraham, decides that he'll go to um, the plains of Jordan that are well-watered and lush, and they sit right by the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all looks good, and that's where Lot heads to. Well, um, the king of, of Sodom, the, uh, it gets invaded, and so they come, the men come, the enemy, and they steal Lot, and they take him away. So Abraham has to go get Lot back. So he makes kind of his own army out of his own people, and he goes back, goes and gets Lot back, and so Upon doing so, the king of Sodom says, "Um, I want to bless you. You can keep all the loot. Just give me the people back. But Abraham says, oh, no, I wouldn't let it be said that you blessed me. I don't want one thing, not even a shoelace from you. I don't want to in any way let it be said that you blessed me. So 
again, I'm reminded of a sermon. <laughs> I think this is right. I didn't ask pastor, but I believe it was called in the order of Mechezeldeck. And Mechezeldeck, or Mechezeldeck, whichever way you say that, he's the king of Salem, and he is a priest of the Lord. And, and so he comes, and he says he's going to bless Abraham. Blessed is Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So here you go again. Here's the contrast. So the flesh wanted to bless him. He wanted to give him lots of goods, and they wanted to be able to be the one that... that um, made him rich, if I can say that, or made him prosperous, or, or made, made him. But Abraham is smart. He says, no, no. And, and instead, the priest comes in. And so now you see the spiritual blessing. Even though it's in physical form, you see the spiritual blessing upon Abraham when Mechizedek comes and blesses him. So, so that's kind of a precursor, in a way, I guess, to that. That's the spiritual blessing. So Abraham does good when he tells the king of Sodom, no, he's not going to let him Uh, Let him be uh, the one that made him rich. So the Lord reveals more promise to Abraham and makes a covenant with him. The sign is a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. It's a sign by which Abraham will know he will inherit the land. So after Lot, so I'm kind of like in the middle here, after Lot is rescued and, um, and he leaves, then the Lord comes and speaks to Abraham again. He says, I am exceeding, I am your exceeding great word. Sorry, I am your exceeding great reward. But Abraham says, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? To me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. He's talking about Eleazar. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Tell me the stars, if thou should be able to number them, so shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So now the Lord has given him a little bit more. First, get out of the land. Okay. Get out of the land, because I'm going to make you a, a nation. Get out of the land, I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to give you a land for your nation to flourish in. Now get out of the land. I'm going to give you an heir. It's going to come through your own flesh and blood. It's not going to be, it's not going to be one of your servants. So the Lord gives Abraham a little bit more. This might be, or you could say, maybe the Lord shouldn't have given it to him because, because now he knows it's going to come through him. It's going to be flesh and blood, and this is where he kind of gets into trouble. So um, after, after that, after the word of the Lord comes to Abraham about his heir, um, then, then an error occurs. So Sarah comes to him and says, now, it's been a long time. Think about this. Abraham is 75 when, when he leaves Haran, and now he's 86. So that's 11 years. So that's a long time. I, I'm, I'm not sure of the time frame, like when the Lord actually told him about it, it would come from his own vows. But when the Lord told him he was going to make him a nation, it's been 11 years now. So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of an impatient person. I get in a hurry. I can't even stand to sit at the yellow light. i got to get through so I don't have to sit at a red light. So, so... <laughs> So, you know, this is a long time. So the Lord, so Sarah comes to Abraham and says, you know, the Lord did say we're going to have an heir and it's going to come through you. Now I'm too old to have a baby, so it's not going to come through me, obviously. I'm paraphrasing. And she says, so I got a handmaiden. Her name is Hagar. Uh, She's an Egyptian. You know, it's culturally okay for us that you could go into her and you you could have a baby with her and it it would be the same as my baby and it would be our heir. So Abraham says, okay. 
So we don't know. Maybe Hagar was beautiful and he was happy about that. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us any details. But for whatever reason, Abraham's like, okay, I'll do it. Now, again, I'm sitting here thinking, how can you be so spiritual and so, you know, obedient and, and, and do all these things by faith, having not seen the promise? That's what the Word of God says. He didn't see the promise. He listens to God. He does all these things. And then how can he have a moment where his wife's in his ear saying, well, the Lord said it's going to come through you, but he didn't say it's going to come through me, so go take Hagar. How could he be so carnal, so fleshly, so weak? Maybe because he didn't have all the promise. I don't know. Maybe because they didn't stop and think, well, if the Lord told me I'm going to be a great nation, then surely he has a plan about that, and I don't have to insert myself. But they decided to take matters into their own hands. They decided to insert themselves into the miraculous. Now, I don't know. I was trying to think of a time that I might have done this. I might have done this. I don't know. I couldn't really think of something. But have you ever thought, the, the thought that came to me was, okay, you have, a, you have a prophecy and the Lord says, I'm going to bless you financially. And then you think, wow, the lottery is like $3 million if I would play. Now we don't play the lottery, but I mean, people might think that, okay, or here's a job that takes you out of church, but it's going to make a lot of money. Surely that has to be the will of God because, because he said, I'm going to be financially blessed, right? So so we look at Abraham, I don't know, maybe you don't, but I look at Abraham and think, what a big dummy. I cannot believe that you made such a blunder. But do we not do that sometimes ourselves and think, well, the Lord said it, so I'm going to start figuring out how it can be. How, how, how is it that God's going to do this? I know, this way or that way, or I'm, I can help him along. Maybe you've not done this, but I probably have. I just couldn't think of an example, but I'm sure it's there. So... So we, if you don't know the story, just really quickly, so Abraham goes into Hagar. She does conceive, and she does have a son, and his name is Ishmael. But um, he's not the chosen one. He's not the promise. Yes, he's an heir, so the Lord, so that, that part of the prophecy that the Lord had given is true. He is an heir, but he is not the spiritual heir. He's just a physical heir, and that is the whole thing of Abraham's life physical, spiritual, flesh and carnality, spiritual. So there's the physical heir, but he does not have the promise. He does not have, have the, the spiritual promise. So um, all this time, you know, Abraham again is walking by faith, and now he makes this huge blunder. And so I don't know what changed in Abraham. Again, I, I haven't really figured that out. If you can enlighten me, I'd sure like to know, but I don't know. I just say that he just became a human, and flesh just got in the way. And unfortunately, sometimes that happens to us, and, and sometimes that can be a real, a real big deal, and we may pay for a long time for our mistakes. So as you know, through Ishmael came, the, um, came Islam and the Muslims people, and we know that there's a lot of fighting that goes on in the Middle East and really other places too over who is the heir to that land, who's the rightful heir. Well, by, by uh, their custom, because he was the oldest, Ishmael should have been the heir. But the Lord saw differently. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't see it that way. So, so, I mean, he did have a right to it. So in some ways you could say it's justified their fighting, I guess you could say that. But it, so it cost a huge big deal when Abraham and Sarah decided that they would take things into their own hands and that Abraham would listen to Sarah's voice rather than God's voice. Okay, so now I am where it says God renames Abraham and Sarah and establishes their covenant by the sign of circumcision. Now the entirety of the promise and God's plan is revealed. So Abraham's 99, and the Lord says, Walk before me and be perfect. 
And I'm thinking, it's a little late for you to tell him that now, Lord. (laughs) I don't know how you read your Bible, but I read it like I need it to apply to me. And I'm thinking, that's a little late. I don't know about this perfect thing, but there's always redemption. That's the great thing about the Lord. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. He'll, at any moment in time, he can say, walk before me and be perfect. Leave all of that past behind. It's okay. Walk before me and be perfect. We can always start over. That is not in my notes. I think that just must have been the Holy Ghost. It's for somebody that needed it. Maybe me. Maybe I needed that. So, so, um, so the Lord tells Abraham now, here we go. Thy name shall be called Abraham now instead of Abram. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now, if you notice, this caught my eye. He says this in the present tense. A father of many nations have I made you. Everything else is in future tense. So I'm thinking in the Lord's mind, he sees this. It's already happened for him. Abraham is already a nation in God's mind, even though it has not transpired yet in the flesh. It hasn't been manifest in time. But the Lord knows he made Abraham a father of many nations. So, um, Sarah shall be called Sarah and not Sarai because she shall be the mother of nations. Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Abraham's 99 years old when this happens. So it's been like 24 years since the Lord first spoke to him about leaving Ur and going into a promised land. Now that's a long time. But he finally reveals everything to Abraham. So now it is, leave your land, I'll make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. You're going to have an heir through your own, own physical uh, flesh and blood. And now here's how the heir is going to come. It's going to come through Sarah. Now, I don't know why the Lord didn't tell him up front. Surely God knows everything, and he knew that there would be an Ishmael. I don't know why he didn't tell him. And I don't know that we'll ever know. But... But I'm thinking, it's a, it's a little late, Lord, but whatever, your plan is perfect. And he knows. He knows everything. But now Abraham doesn't have an excuse. He knows now that the promise is going to come through his, through his own self and through his wife. When I read this, though, I was thinking back and thinking, you know, the Lord said it's going to come through your flesh and blood. Abraham could have known from Genesis that you're one flesh when you get married. That should have been a... a should have been like a, a, a red light to him or like the light bulb. Hey, that's your wife, not somebody else. But apparently it didn't work out for him that way. So the Lord says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between you, between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. God has now shown Abraham that he'll have a son in his old age through Sarah. The promise will be fulfilled through Isaac. And we find that in Genesis 21, 22, when Sarah does have Isaac, when he's born. So the covenant that the Lord said to him is, is circumcision. So let's back up for just a minute. When the Lord said, I'm going to give you land, Abraham says, how am I going to know that, Lord? And they made a covenant. And the covenant... During that time when Abraham was making that covenant uh, with the Lord, the Lord put Abraham to sleep, and he showed him how the people were going to be in bondage and come out of Egypt. He sealed that covenant with a furnace, a smoking furnace, and a burning lamp. Or, in my mind, that translates to a pillar of fire by night and a pillar, a, 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 and a pillar of cloud by day. It's like the Lord, the covenants that he used 
when he sealed those covenants or did those covenants, it's like he did those in a way that that was what was going to happen in the future. Does that make sense? So it's a covenant of circumcision. He said, this is a covenant in your flesh. This is in your your flesh and your body. It's something that's going to happen. Well, today we know that that covenant for us is a circumcision of our heart. Even though you can't see it, we cannot see that in our flesh, but we can see that in our outward behavior. We can see that in, in, um, our lives. It's like, it's, it's like, it's not just, this is my God. It's that my life lives out. This is my God. I internalize him. I make him part of me. And that happens physically when we receive the Holy Ghost and speak, speak in tongues. The evidence of the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. When we, when we get that, it's like, we didn't just say, this is my God. It's like, we took him on. If I can say it that way, he's in our flesh now. He's part of us. So this was an everlasting sign, and the Jewish people still do this today, um, circumcision. And I, in my research, I found that the Jewish people circumcise. It's a real big deal. It's, it's a big ceremony. It has a lot of uh, things that it means. Uh, you get a new name. That's when they get their Jewish name. The Muslim people, when they circumcise, it's basically for just um, like health reasons. So there's a huge difference even, even in why they do that. Abraham did circumcise Ishmael. And the people continue to do it, but the reason they do it is totally different. And then, and so, again, isn't that kind of what separates us? Everybody might have the same God, and we all might be Christians, but it's how we do things that makes us different. It's how, how we do it. We internalize it. We make him part of us when we receive the Holy Ghost. Um, so now I'm on your last point here, or not your last point, but your bottom point here, that Abraham intercedes for Lot when Sodom is destroyed. So... I'm thinking about this. While, when Abraham comes to Sarah and Abraham, well, really to Abraham, to tell him that he's going to have a son finally by Sarah, he's in Mamre, and two, he's visited by three people, two angels and, and really a theophany. The Lord himself comes and visits Abraham. So he comes and he tells Abraham this great news. Abraham, you're going to have a son. It's going to come through Sarah. You know, I, here it is. Here's all the promise. I'm telling you right now, here all of it is. And then the Lord goes to leave, and he says to the angels, do you think we should tell Abraham what we're going to do? And I think, what a strange thing. Why does the Lord say, here's this, re- this joyous occasion. Uh, Abraham's going to have, have an heir, and he's going to have it through Isaac, I mean, through Sarah, and it's going to be Isaac, and this is a real big deal. Here's the fulfillment of the promise. And in the middle of that, or in contrast to that, I'm going to destroy Sodom because they're wicked. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's so weird. <laughs> Why is that there? And then, and then I found out why. Because if you go back to the very first page, if I can find my first page, when he says, I know Abraham, when he's talking about how he knows him, um, that is when he, he, he recognizes what is in Abraham, that he'll raise his children and his descendants to love him and that, they, that he will be their God. For I know him. He will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Here's our contrast. There's all kinds of wickedness in Sodom. The Lord's about to go destroy it. He's not a bit worried about it, if I can say it this way, because he has got a man right here that he knows is going to start up a line. It's going to be a it's going to be a line of people that's going to love him, that's going to serve him, that's going to make him just their God, no other God, one God. And that people is going to, going to uh, be a people that's going to last through the generations. Thank God for him because we're grafted in that we can be part of that. And so 
And so this is the way I interpret it. The Lord doesn't care that there's wickedness in Sodom and that he's going to destroy him because there's a start over point right here with Abraham. And I, and for a while I just thought, this is the strangest thing. What is it, Lord? And I just kept praying and I felt like that's what the Lord showed me that I'm not worried about them, that, but Abraham, he is worried about it. Abraham becomes an intercessor. All the things that Abraham is, is all the things that really the Lord is for us. If you start to look at it, he went and stole back Lot. When, when, uh, when he was stolen, he went and got him back. He was the redeemer. The Lord, get, you know, brought us out of sin, bought us back from the enemy. And so now Abraham becomes an intercessor. And so Abraham says, Lord, if there's 50 people, will you do it? Will you spare them? And the Lord said, yeah, I'll, I'll spare Sodom for 50 people. Lord, if there's 45 Will you spare him? And he goes all the way to 10. And I just think about this. Now, put this in perspective, okay? The Lord's standing here, and Abraham's like, Lord, but wait a minute. Will you do it for 10? Will you do it for 20? And it's very, very bold. And again, it's a stark contrast between the Abraham here, really bold. Lord, will you spare Sodom? Will you spare them? And the Abraham that says to Sarah, tell them that you're my sister because you're really beautiful, and they might kill me. So you, again, so you see the contrast all the time of the, the spiritually empowered, if I can say it that way, or spiritually bold Abraham versus the carnal Abraham. But isn't that us? Sometimes I think that's, that's I don't know how you live, but a lot of times I feel that way, you know? So, so Abraham uh, intercedes, intercede, I'm sorry, yes, intercedes for Sodom, and a lot is spared, I believe, because Abraham was righteous I believe that, um, that that is the reason, in part, that, that Lot was spared. Although it does tell us in Peter that Lot's righteous soul was vexed daily by the wickedness. So maybe the Lord did consider Lot righteous. So he allows his family to come out of, out of all that. His daughters and his wife, we know the story, his wife turns to salt. And we know his daughters, they're wicked. They're wicked. And, and if you don't know what happened, they, they um, have heirs with their father. And, and those two tribes are very wicked people. So even though the Lord was merciful and he spared Lot, that wickedness from Sodom was in their thinking. It was in the, his family. They had been in, 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 in that wickedness and in that sinful place for so long that it had invaded their thinking. I won't say it invaded Lot, but it invaded the, the daughter's thinking. So, okay. So now we come to the place where um, Isaac is born. And so Ishmael is sent away. If you don't know that story, Ishmael is sent away. But the Lord takes care of Ishmael, and he makes him a great nation. He's going to be the father of 12 princes. princes. <laughs> and so um, the Lord's taking care of him. And, and, and so, you know, he considers him, again, though, it's the natural blessing. It's not the spiritual blessing. So we come to Mount Moriah. And so... The Lord speaks to Abraham. Now remember, it's been all this time. He finally has an heir. And now the Lord says, take now thy son, thy only son. The Lord doesn't even recognize Ishmael at this point because this is a spiritual thing. Isaac's the spiritual heir. Get thee into, thy, into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice, so the Lord is saying to him, take your only son, your only heir, take him up and, and sacrifice him. At first I thought, 
you know, that was just the idea of it. But the Lord actually says, offer him for a burnt offering. Could you imagine how horrifying that would be if the Lord came and said, offer up your child? I mean, my kids make me mad, but that's extreme. So I just, I mean, really, seriously, I, I've, I try to internalize this. I've tried to think about this. What in the world would you do? Now this is where you see that great spiritual hero in, in, in Abraham. What does he do? I believe, this is Angie Treadway talking, but this is the way I, I interpret this. I believe that he knew, after seeing all the things that he had seen, that God was never going to take Isaac from him. He's not going to do that. He's going to be a replacement. He's going to send a replacement. He's not going to do that to me. He promised that my, my seed would last forever through the generations, through Isaac. How can he take him from me? I believe that Abraham knew that wasn't going to happen. So Abraham takes Isaac, and he takes the fire, he takes the wood, he takes the knife, they go up to Moriah. Even Isaac says, can you imagine, think about this, your little kid, dad, even if it was a teenager, dad, where's the sacrifice? <laughs> and then he puts the wood down and says, um, you lay down. Like he's not, you know, I'm sure he's getting a clear picture now. Where's the sacrifice? Oh my gosh, it's me. I'm supposed to be the sacrifice. I mean, we, we kind of take this lightly, but can you imagine if you're there and you have to literally put your son on this altar, you're just about to slay him. And the Lord says, Abraham, don't touch the lad. Don't touch the lad. And over in the thicket is a ram. The Lord sent the replacement. And it's a foreshadow for us, a, a type for us of what the Lord was going to do. When, when we should have been the sacrifice, when we should have been uh, just had no hope and we should have been thrown away, the Lord made himself a replacement. He says, I made, I will, the Lord will, will uh, supply himself a ram. And I believe that was a prophetic word with the Lord saying, I'm, I'm the ram. I'm the lamb. I'm coming. I'm the spotless lamb. And so the Lord sent that, and, and so Isaac was able to make a sacrifice. There was a replacement given. He was able to make a sacrifice and then come back down off the mountain with Isaac. So, um, so the Lord has now become our intercessor. He's become our sacrifice. He's become everything. Now the, the covenant is truly fulfilled because the, the Lord says, because you did this, now I know what I said about you a long time ago is true. Now I can build my, my generations. Now I can build my nation. I can build my people and I can truly have a, a, a people that worships one God. I can truly have a, a people that, that doesn't just serve me in name only, but acts out that if I can say it that way, puts works with their actions, puts it into action, their love for me, not just words. So um, that's kind of my thing with Abraham. Now, I did want to point out a couple of things. So, uh, so not just to tell you the story, but I think, okay, so what do we draw from this? What, do we, what can we say about Abraham? What do we draw from this? Well, one of the things that we can look at is conflict in the world today. Now, my husband probably really should have done this instead of me because he's a history professor, and he's also into all types of current events and things that go on. He watches news all the time, and I turn it off. So, but Ishmael's descendants did not have a spiritual blessing. They only had a physical blessing. The Lord made them a people. Isaac had the spiritual blessing. I know I keep saying that, but I want, want you to get it. It's, it's a spiritual thing. And so as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, and I don't want to jump ahead and get into anybody else's stuff, but I'm just thinking, okay, Isaac biologically did not deserve the birthright. He did not deserve the, the heritage. He did not deserve the blessing. And if we look, Jacob and Esau, it's the same way. It went to Jacob, not Esau, who should have had it. 
And, and then if we look, um, Joseph should have been the one to get, not, get, not get the blessing. It, it should have been Reuben. And then we get to Joseph, and he's getting ready to bless Ephraim and Manasseh. And, the, and Joseph crisscrosses his hands, and he lays his hand on the younger one. Because, again, that was what the Lord did as the spiritual blessing. And so I, I can't take credit for the crisscross. I was telling this to brother and sister Foster, and, and they told me about the crisscross thing. And I thought, yeah, I know that story. And I went back and I looked. So, so the Lord, if I can say it like this, the Lord has crisscrossed for us this blessing all this heritage, all this inheritance rightfully belonged to the Jews. We didn't belong to us. We're Gentiles. But because they rejected the Lord and, and they're blinded right now, right, the Lord has crisscrossed his hands and we receive the spiritual blessing. We're grafted in so we can become uh, spiritual Jews and we can receive the Holy Ghost. We can be baptized in Jesus' name, take on his name. That's the way, that's kind of our circumcision, if I can say it that way. And and so that that is what we are the uh, product of. So thank God he does not always um, keep the culture, if I can say it that way. I mean, he doesn't always do what is, what is supposed to be done. So for us, if he hadn't done that, and if the Jews were not blinded, we would never have this heritage. We'd be like Ishmael. We may have a physical blessing. We may have uh, things, uh, goodness of the Lord, but we would never have a spiritual inheritance. We'd never be able to go to heaven. We would never have our sins forgiven. We would never be able to walk daily with him if it hadn't been for that. So, um, so that was, that's kind of the conflict. And then there's actually the physical conflict of, of the Muslims versus the Jews versus the Christians. But in the Middle East, it's the, it's the Jewish people and, and the Muslim people. Both claim heir to that region. Both claim heir uh, to even the spot in Moriah, Mount Moriah. They both say that it belongs to them. And I, I mean, I can kind of understand why, after researching all of this, you know, why they could both say that. Of course, we know the rightful heir is, is, is the, um, the Jewish people. We know that. But so right now, there are, I, I, I tried to, to research to get specifics, but there's a lot of controversy. So I'm going to say it like this. There is an area <laughs> of Mount Moriah. It's, uh, the Bible says that the Lord told Abraham to go into the land of Moriah, and then I'll show you the specific mountain. So that's the mountain that the Lord called Mount Moriah. But on that area, there is the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim. Um, that's their, their holy thing. The, the, the Dome of the Rock sits there. They have a mosque that sits there. They have all these things that really should have the Jewish uh, temple there. And the Bible tells us that there will be a temple. Now, exactly where, I don't know if it's going to be right there or near it or whatever, but in that area. So, so there is the, all of that conflict that goes on. We wouldn't have any of that if Abraham hadn't gotten a hurry or Sarah hadn't gotten his ear or whatever you want to say, I don't know what happened again, what happened there. But if flesh hadn't gotten in the way, we wouldn't have the conflict that we have. And unfortunately for all of us, we have to pay for that conflict. And if we lived in the Middle East, it would be even worse. So we're pretty fortunate here in America. We don't have quite, quite what they have. But So I kind of touched on this already, but there's a, an argument called the straw man argument, and here's what it is. I, I had to look this up to see exactly what, what, what this meant as far as perspective for Christians. But people say that the Jews have lost their inheritance. 
because there was that crisscross, because we were grafted in, because they became blinded, they don't have the inheritance. All of this stuff with Abraham, all those descendants, all the heritage that, that was talked about and the inheritance, they lost because they didn't recognize the Messiah. That is a farce. That is not true. They are just blinded right now. It's being held back. They will, their eyes will be opened and they will get their inheritance, but it's just not right now. Which is, again, very fortunate for us that that that's happened because now we can have part with the Lord. So how do we relate Abraham and apply his experience to our own lives? That's our very last point. So I'm just going to read this. At times, Abraham walked totally by faith, and at times he walked in flesh. He was steadfast and persistent, but still he wavered in his faith. He made mistakes and even lied. God considered him to be righteous and called him friend. Abraham was a bold intercessor for, for the wicked and, and for God's mercy, but sometimes he was afraid. A walk with God is just that. Sometimes we doubt, sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall. But the important thing is to keep going until we see our reward. So I don't know if you find yourself in that, but I certainly do. My, I, I, the Lord said that a righteous man falleth, but he gets back up. So I kind of feel like that's what Abraham did. He fell when he went into to, um, Hagar. It was a horrible mistake. He, he fell. But you know what? He got back up. And the Lord apparently didn't, didn't think it was all that bad, if I can say it like that, because he gave him redemption and allowed him to go ahead and, and, and have an heir through Sarah and have a people. So in my own life, I find myself sometimes like this. I'm an intercessor. I didn't know that until I came to New Life Fellowship. Um, I didn't know how anybody knew what they were. But one night, Pastor said, if you're an intercessor, come to the front and intercede. And I looked at my friend, then Patty Wallace, and I said, I don't know if I'm an intercessor, Patty. How do you know? (laughs) I was pretty new to church, and she said, Angie, you're an intercessor. I can tell by the way you pray. So now I, I feel like that I can recognize that, and I know when the Lord is asking me to intercede for people. And I believe that he could probably use any of us at any, any given time to intercede, but I would say as a whole, I'm an intercessor. And so I'm bold before the throne of God, when I'm, when I'm, especially if I'm praying for a lost soul. But yet I'm kind of like Abraham. In the public, I have my, I'm like, oh, Bill, you go. <laughs> I don't want to go ask them. You go ask them or you go do that. And it's like, it's such a strange thing. How can you be so bold in one area, but yet be so timid in another area? But this is life. This is life as a Christian. And so, um, so, so that's kind of, kind of where I am. And, and sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I think, I know that I have the word of God and he's, given me promises and he's going to keep us and he's and he's given me a prophetic word about my children I'll just I'll just lay it out he's given me a prophetic word about my children but I confess there are times when I'm very afraid and I think lord are you sure that's right are you sure that word is for me are you sure and just like abraham He'll come. He'll send somebody that will give me just a little bit more, a little bit more. And someday I will be like Abraham, and someday I will see that promise completely fulfilled. But until then, you know, I, I fear. I, I'm, I'm fearful at times. And that, you know, that's not the will of God, but that's my human side of me. And that same fearful person also can be very, very, very bold and very outspoken when it's time to pray. And I'm with the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, you've got to save them. Lord. I mean, I don't, again, I don't know what you do. I'm just telling you what I do. So, and I don't know about you, but I make mistakes. (laughs) Abraham made some big ones. Abraham lied. 
I mean, he was, he was a guy that lied. We know that. When he went to Egypt, he lied. And when he went to, um, uh, I believe it was the Philistines, when he went to the other land, he lied. And so, you know, at times he, he just didn't do what was right, flat out. He just didn't do what was right. We would all agree that Abraham should not have lied. But at the, but at the same time, you know, he was a man that the Lord called a friend. So I don't know about you, but the word of God says, thou shall not lie, but yet the Lord called him a friend. So I don't really know what all you can take from Abraham, but I took from Abraham several different things. But the one thing that I noticed, at least for me, I felt like if pastor tells you anything different, you believe him because he knows. But I, I felt like all through the story of Abraham, it was two things, the contrast of the spiritual versus the flesh and the contrast of the Lord. Every time he told him something, then he went back and solidified it in the physical. So... I'm making you a nation. I'm solidifying it in the physical as I, as I go between these pieces of meat with a lamp and a, and a, and a furnace. I'm making you a, a people. I'm giving you, I'm sorry, that was the land. I'm giving you a nation. I'm making you a nation. So I solidify that and a circumcision in the flesh. So, so I felt like there was this, the Lord asked for this or told Abraham this, and then he would solidify it in, this, in the physical. So here's the spiritual. Walk by faith, I'm telling you this. But then later, he would manifest that in the, in the physical, if that makes sense. So every time there was a, a spiritual and, the, and Abraham had to receive it by faith, Lord, the Lord would then go ahead and solidify that or manifest that in the physical. But it was not always at the same time. So that was one of the, one of the things that I noticed. And I probably learned a lot about the conflict in the Middle East and, and why, you know, it, it is why the Muslims could say that they have air to that. Uh, I can kind of see that. Um, you know, it makes sense. So I really don't have a whole lot more to say about Abraham. I just, I hope you learned something. I mean, <laughs> when I was asked to teach Abraham, my first thought was, oh man, I don't really like him because he's, he <laughs> made such a blunder. I'm just being honest. I relate to Joseph. I am the youngest. I relate to Joseph. And I'm thinking that guy messed up greater than anybody I know. I mean, there, it's like, who, who can you think of when you think of a big, big mistake? Who can you think of besides Abraham? It's like, I can't believe that's who I have to teach on. <laughs> but as I started studying, I really was excited about the things that I felt like the Lord showed me, and I was excited about things in Abraham that I'd never seen and I did not know. So I, I hope that you learned something, and if you didn't learn something, well, go study and you will. 